0: So today's title is called Posture Matters. I want to talk to you about postures of worship, which I really believe is a physical expression of an inner reality. I want you to hear me this morning. The worship that we just did and the worship that we will do in a few minutes together is a physical expression of what's happening on the inside of us. Studies say that 70% to 95% of all communication is nonverbal. Have you ever picked up a nonverbal cue from someone? Can I see your hand? Okay. You saw somebody, you knew they had a bad attitude. They didn't even have to say a word. Okay. You knew they were filled with joy. They didn't even have to say a word, right? You could see and you could tell that because of their nonverbal communication. So we say a lot about what we think and feel without uttering a single word. So I want to talk to you about the connection that the body, the physical body that we have, has in worship. Because I really do believe God thinks that posture matters. In fact, your posture in life matters, and so does your posture in worship. I'll admit, I do not have the best physical posture, okay? I I was told from a young age, stand up straight, shoulders back. I feel like that's odd and weird. I was a husky teenager, and I thought I could hide some of my mass by being like this, and I stayed like this. I still have that mass, and I still have this posture problem, okay? How many of you have known somebody with a posture problem, an issue, right? Slumping over and things like that. So I want to talk to you, though, about what that looks like in worship, But think about it in life. When a young man meets a young woman that he wants to impress, what does he do? Stands up straight, smiles. He brushed his teeth that day. Things are going good, like eye contact, all of those things. When he wants to propose, what does he do? He gets down on one knee. I mean, it's in the movies, but you younger people, this is how it's supposed to happen, right? Okay, so this is how I did it, right, in New York City. I proposed to my wife. I handed my tiny little digital camera to a horse and buggy driver. We just got off the buggy and I said to him, I didn't realize he did not speak English. So I said to him in broken Spanish, can you please take some pictures? I'm about to ask her to marry me. So I got down on one knee and you know what she said? She didn't say yes. Everybody say, aw, feel bad for me, okay? Uh, It took some convincing. No, I'm kidding. She didn't say no either. She said, are you kidding me? And I was like, wait, is that good or bad? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? Uh, But I got down on one knee. Some of you might have had that same experience. If someone points a gun at you, I hope you've never had that experience. But your immediate posture is surrender. Or if you're a well-armed citizen, it's to draw your own weapon, okay? (laughs) But we're not talking about that. Um, Here's what I wanna tell you though, if your children want some love or attention, notice I didn't say need some attention because they get a lot, but if they want some attention, what do they do as little kids? They raise their arms to mommy or daddy. At sporting events, how many of you are excited like me that football is back? all right? Um, literally for the fall, you can wear your team jersey any Sunday, okay? I'll be happy to see it because I'm so tired of all the other stuff on TV. Um, so I'm excited that football's back. But at sporting events, when your team scores, what happens? You shout, you hoop, you holler, you jump, you high five somebody. Anybody ever been to a live game of some sort? Okay, did you see some crazy people doing some crazy stuff? I'm looking at some moms here rooting on their boys. And here's the deal. You shout as loudly as you can. If you watch a football game with my mother, who is a bigger football fan than my father, uh, it's a loud, raucous time. I mean, she is shouting at the TV. She is, you know, that's how we respond because there's an inward reality that we're responding to. Same thing with the sporting events, if a ref makes a bad call, and it seems like they all do, okay? You throw your hands up and, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? And you shout and you, you know, you have these physical demonstrations because your heart is caught up in the experience of the moment and your body responds outwardly. Somehow, there are many of us that don't make this connection when it comes to worship with the people of God. But here's the reality. The reality is God created each one of us as holistic beings, fully whole, with intellects, with emotions, and with bodies that all should be working in concert with one another to express ourselves. Your posture in worship is an outward expression of an inward reality. So our body naturally acts the way our heart feels. Your posture in worship, for some of us, needs improvement. See, your posture is shaped by your heart. And your posture can be changed by your will. You can change your attitude. Well, I can't help that I feel this way. Yes, you can. <laughs> God wants all of you, heart, soul, and might. Look at what Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 says. It says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Today is a physical message without elbowing the person next to you, can you flex your arm? Go ahead, everybody. Can you just lift your arm and flex it? Okay? Don't elbow them in the head, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all of your, another version says, strength, with all of your might. I wanna show you these postures that are recorded in worship, in scripture about worship, so that you understand in a little bit of a deeper way why posture matters. The first is this worship involves singing. Let me say this. It doesn't matter what you sound like. You may think it matters what you sound like, but good Christian people who are here to worship the Lord don't care what you sound like. They may move their seat next week, but we shouldn't care what others sound like because I'm not here for you. When it comes to worshiping God, I'm here for the Lord. Uh, there have been services that I have been in that I had wished I had picked a different seat because of the person behind me. Not here in this church. I'm just saying other places. But here's the deal. It involves singing, and it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. In fact, the Bible also says it involves shouting. Look at Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Anybody that says, bring back that old song. Okay. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Look at verse 2. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 104 verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. Look at Psalm 59. It says this, I will sing of your strength. Notice there, the posture of worship is admiring God and his strength towards his people. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Praise God, somebody. That he has been a fortress and a refuge to us in the days of our distress. Look at what verse 17 says. It says, oh my strength. See that capital S? That's what he is calling God in that moment. Oh my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. The one who shows me steadfast love. These are powerful statements, and you can find singing all throughout Scripture. In fact, Mandy mentioned it last week about Paul and Silas being in prison in the New Testament, and they were singing at midnight and worshiping the Lord. So there's no time barrier. You can be on a mountaintop. You can be in a valley. You can be in a boat. You can be sunk. (laughs) Okay, You can be anywhere on this planet, and we can sing. As long as we have breath in our lungs, we can sing. And this is one of the postures of worship. Another one is this. Worship involves instruments. I want to point something out to you because some of you may know or have heard or maybe you have friends that go to a church that believes that you should not have instrumentation during worship. Nothing against them. I just don't think they've read the Bible. At least my wife is laughing. Okay, again, nothing against them, but here's the deal. Worship in Scripture, Old and New Testament, involved instruments. It involved instruments. So look at what Second Chronicles 29 says. In verse 27, it says, Then Hezekiah, let me tell you who this guy is. Look at me for just a second. Hezekiah is the 13th successor On the throne of David. So it was King Saul, then his house was wiped out. God put David on the throne. And now, 13 dynasties or rulers later, there is a man named Hezekiah. When he comes to power and rule, he says, These people are not following God the way that they ought to. We are going to reinstitute and restart the worship of God. So look at what it says here. It says, Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. Now for the kids, I just want to explain what a burnt offering is. It's not taking your dollar and lighting it on fire. Okay, Judah? In the Old Testament, a burnt offering was taking taking an animal and laying it on the altar and lighting it on fire until it burned all the way. Let me ask you, how long do you think it takes for a full animal carcass to burn? Probably a while. And when the burnt offering began, look at what it says. The song to the Lord began also, and the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, the king of Israel, the whole assembly, verse 28, worshipped. That's everybody who gathered there together. It says, and the singers sang... And the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So if we're talking about an extended time of worship, that was definitely this moment. If they were waiting for the burnt offering to be completed, they were going on for quite some time singing and playing music and worshiping the Lord. So it involves instruments. Look at what else it involves. It involves bowing. Maybe you've seen this from other cultures. When they greet one another, uh, they bow. Maybe you've seen the imagery that comes from like British royalty where they curtsy before someone of royalty, okay, and they bow down in some way. In the Old Testament, when we read the word bow, it literally means to get on both knees and to bow down in front of the one who's there. Scripture says that Abraham did this when God visited him. There's a a bunch of places in Scripture that talk about bowing down. But here's the thing. Bowing down is a posture of something else called humility. I don't bow before those things that I don't want to serve. Or I don't want them to have power over me. I stand tall in front of those things. Because I want to master them. So if worship involves bowing. And we see places all throughout scripture. About worship involving bowing down before the Lord. Then we need to take note. And the reason why we talk about these postures of worship. Is because some of them are missing in our church. I'm not saying that in the next song that we do in just a minute. That everybody needs to bow. It's your own expression of worship. But For God's sake, put a smile on your face and sing about the love of God and for all he's done for you. Because he's worthy, amen? He's worth it. Look at what it continues to say in 2 Chronicles, the same passage. Chapter 29, now verse 29. It says, this is what happened. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. I want you to understand something. The king is never to bow. The king does not bow. Do you understand that? The king does not bow. Others bow before the king. So in this moment, the king is actually making himself a servant or humbling himself before God. And it said all who were present with him bowed themselves in worship. In fact, there's an opposite uh, story that happens when there are some children of Israel, some Israelites, some Jews in the Old Testament who refused to bow before an image, before a statue that had been put up of a human and they refused to bow. The Bible says that bad things were going to happen to them, but God saved them even in the midst of that because they were obeying him. They weren't going to bow to anything but God Himself. Look at what it says in verse 30. It says Hezekiah and the king, the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. That word means prophet. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down in worship. So today I am commanding you to worship the Lord, and if It is an expression of your inward reality. Take a moment to bow down. Many of us might bow down in prayer, bow at a couch or a chair in our house for prayer time. I encourage you, worship the Lord and don't worry about the people around you. Now, we don't have chandeliers. I took those out when I got... No, I'm just kidding. We don't swing from chandeliers. We're not talking about something so crazy that it would draw attention away from God. We're talking about just honest humility before the Lord. And if I feel it and sense it in my heart, I can bow down right in my seat and just continue to sing and worship. This should be acceptable. It was then and it is now. So, the next thing worship involves... Is dancing? How many of you would raise your hand? It's okay and tell me you're a good dancer. <laughs> Nobody really is raising their hand. Don't these are imaginary hands up here. Um, anybody feel like they're a horrible dancer? That's a better question. okay? No rhythm, no, yeah, I got you. okay. Um, how many of you danced at your wedding? like had a, a song that you danced to at your wedding? Okay. How many of you have seen the movie Hitch? Have you seen the movie Hitch? Where he's, and he's like, no, you just stay right here, okay? Okay. That was my wedding dance because I was scared I'd make a fool of myself. So we pretty much just kind of did this around for about two minutes and then we sat down. Okay. Um, but worship involves dancing. Look at what scripture says in Psalm 149 verse 3. It says, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Scripture is including those things. Let them praise his name with dancing. That means us dancing around, making melody, which would be singing and doing so with instruments all at the same time. Kind of makes me feel like we should try to practice head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Okay, never mind. But Exodus 15 tells us this, that Miriam, Moses' sister, danced before the Lord, and she took a tambourine, and a ton of women followed her as they celebrated the victory that God had just given them. In fact, the Word of God clearly tells us in 2 Samuel 6 that David leaped and danced before the Lord. If you're above the age of 18, chances are it's been a long time since you leaped or hopped or skipped. But you can do that if you're worshiping the Lord with your whole heart. And it's an expression of the joy that you feel inside. I just ask you if you're going to hop and leap, do that against the back wall so you don't (laughs) distract anybody. Okay, Psalm 30 verse 11 says this, which is a song of King David. I want you to just read these words and let them be absorbed into you because it's so important you understand. We talk about the context of scripture all the time and understanding all the surrounding information helps me really get what's going on. He says, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now, Children might not understand that term sackcloth, and maybe some of us adults don't. But in those days when you mourned, you took off your nice clothes and you put on what my mom would call a croaker sack, but a potato sack, you know, something just ugly looking, and you'd cover yourself in dirt and dust, and you'd sit there and just weep and wail. The Bible is telling us here, David is actually referencing back to the moment where he experienced the consequence of his sin and mourned the death of the son he bore by Bathsheba. And he says, you, O God, have turned my mourning into dancing. You've given me joy in the midst of the trial that I faced, that I brought on myself, and you clothed me with gladness. It's powerful when you think about it. Psalm 150 verse 4 says this, Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. So again, it's talking more about dancing and about worship as it regards using instruments together with dance. Look at another posture for worship. Worship involves the raising of your hands. We talked about this a moment ago, but if someone was holding a gun to you, you would pretty much surrender. You'd put up your hands in a posture of whatever you want, you can have, I just want my life. That's that's the idea. So worship involves the raising of our hands, which would be that idea that we have even in the posture of kids where they're asking for something. The Bible says that we can worship the Lord By raising our hands, or when we worship the Lord, we can raise our hands. Look at what Nehemiah 8, verse 6 says. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. I love that part. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 41 Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Now, the temptation for a lot of us might be, Pastor, I know this stuff is in the Bible about lifting your hands and singing songs and using instruments. But here's the deal. It can make a difference if you're reminded about it. We really ought to take these actions to heart and think about them. Look at what the New Testament says in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, the reason why I emphasize men is not because I say women shouldn't pray, but I think it's important there that Paul was saying, hey, there should be men in the church who are unashamed, who should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling against each other in every place. So part of our life and our expression to God in his extravagant presence is for us to lift our hands. Another thing it involves, and I've only got a few more, it involves clapping your hands which is a sign of celebration, right? When the team wins, you clap. When your boy makes it home, makes a home run. When your kid gets that award at school, whatever the case may be, we clap because we're excited. Look at what it says. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Can you do me a favor? Put your paper down or your pen down and let's just clap. See the blood, the blood starts flowing into your hands and you're like, why were, why was I clapping? Just to practice. Okay. Just cause I wanted to know you could do it. Get ready. That's right. To clap your hands. It's a sign of celebration. I've got something to celebrate. God's done amazing things in my life. He's given me health and blessings and a family and money and a job And all of these many, many things. And I've got something worth celebrating. Even if I'm walking through something difficult right now, I have a million other things in my life that is worth me celebrating God's presence in my life. So I need to be reminded of that even on my worst day when I walk into the congregation of the saints, the gathering of the people of God, and we come to worship. I've got to remind myself, you know what? It's worth clapping about. God is worthy. Look at the next one. Worship involves kneeling. Again, this is a posture of humility. Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. During our first Wednesday services, it's a little bit more of a comfortable environment. The lights are down low for the whole time. And we encourage you to just kind of find a place anywhere in the room to worship or pray and experience God's presence. And during first Wednesday, you'll see people in different areas of the room kneeling down, singing and worshiping, maybe praying before the Lord. It's a natural posture because we don't kneel for anything else. Sure. Sure. Uh, you need to think about that. We don't kneel for anything else. Except for we should kneel when it comes to worship. Look at what else worship involves. It involves laying face down. You say, oh, that's weird. Are we, get, were we fixing to do that? No, I'm not going to ask you to do that today, but I am going to tell you that it's a natural thing to do because here's the deal. I am still somewhat upright when I'm in a bowed position. If I'm laying down, my back is exposed. I'm literally at the lowest place that I can be. And I can say, God, I'm here before you, you're worthy. In fact, this happened all throughout Scripture. The Bible says that Moses laid down in front of the tent of meeting. The Bible says that when certain instances happened as God appearing to mankind throughout history, that they didn't just bow, but they prostrated and laid themselves down. Look at what it says in the New Testament about someone that was laying down before someone else. It says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, I know it's too early to talk about Christmas, in my opinion, not yours, but you know, Christmas as a season, but this is about the wise men. Listen to what it says. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. That word there is actually laid down, face down, and they worshiped him. Then after they had done that, they, they opened their treasures and they offered him gifts. gifts. Because that was their posture. I've seen that happen in services before. I've seen that happen in our first Wednesday service too. I've laid before the Lord and prostrated myself in prayer before and in worship. Because guess what? I can't see you. I can't hear you. I'm not focused on anything but just God and me because everything else is gone. So you'd probably just look at me funny if I said, why don't we all stand and then let's lay down. Okay, we're not going to do it. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it can be done today. And, and you don't have to do that in your fancy Sunday best if that's how you came to church. And I'm not saying that you've got to do this and say, okay, every Sunday for, or the first Sunday of every month, I'm going to lay down. The second Sunday of every month, I'm going to do that. No, here's what I'm saying. Worship, when we worship God, it should involve all of us. And I know that's really hard, but I want to challenge you to grow in your understanding of what extravagant worship looks like. We are about to worship. As I said before earlier, that worship is an outward expression of our inward reality. If your inward reality is lacking then God can help you with that. If you're struggling with something in your life and you can't seem to get free of it or get over it or get past it, if you've got some burden that's on you that's heavier than you could ever have imagined and maybe you've even thought, God, why me? Why is this happening? God, I can't see clearly outside of this and Lord, I'm having a really hard time. If that's you, then let it be expressed to the Lord. In fact, when I say sing, and we said that at the beginning of the message, you don't even have to sing the words that are on the screen. You can sing your own song to the Lord in your place of worship as they worship. And you'll notice if you ever stand next to me or if I'm ever behind you, which is rare, you'll hear I sing all the songs with them, but in different parts, My heart just is filled with praise to the Lord. And I say stuff that's not on the screen because he's done stuff for me that's not on the screen. Does that make sense? So he's done something special for me. So if your inward reality is lacking, I want you to ask God to help change it. Know these three things about any of these expressions. Any of these expressions in worship They must be, it must be something. It can't be just deadpan face with nothing. It's got to be something. Whether it's my voice, my vocal cords, or whether it's my posture, my physical posture of bowing or kneeling. But it's also got to be God honoring and God focused. I'm not going to come up here and do jumping jacks across the front because you would look at me and not at God. That's not a way to worship God and in the family, and the gathering of saints. So I've gotta do what's God honoring and focused on him and not something that's self-exalting. If we consistently find ourselves in worship together in church with our arms folded, and I, I'm talking to some men here and I'm not singling out anyone specifically, I'm telling you I've been there too before. If we're kind of standing there just like this, our posture is saying something. It is saying something to the people around us, but it's actually saying something deeper towards God. If you've ever had a conversation with someone and they've crossed their arms, because they probably don't want to talk to you, they're right? I mean, we understand body language. So think about that and have an openness in your expression. We shouldn't have glazed over looks or or bored looks on our face. If you don't know these songs, learn them. Write it down in your phone, the, the title of the song or what the chorus said and listen to it this week so you can learn that song. I posted an, a song in our worship team's thread this week called Breakthrough. It is ch- it, it really helped me this week and I don't have anything to break through right now but I just came through a breakthrough. God did something awesome in my life. And I just began to celebrate and worship him. Our posture indicates if it's closed that we may not be experiencing that inward heart of adoration and wonder and awe, but he's worthy. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the designer of you. And the Bible says he knows how much hair is on your head. He knows the days of your life before you live a single one. Our great God loves you and he's worthy of our worship. Would you stand with me today? Maybe today it would just be a simple start in the right direction that says, God, I'm, I'm just opening my hands to, to receive from you. I'm not really comfortable. <laughs> I haven't always gone to a hand raising church and here I am and the pastor's like, oh, you need to do this. Maybe it's just a simple gesture towards God, not towards anybody around you that just says, God, I'm open to you. Maybe express to him a prayer that's in your heart about what you're going through and ask him to help draw you nearer to him because he truly does want all of us. He wants our heart, our soul, and our mind. Close your eyes with me for just a moment. The worship team's going to lead us in a few songs and then we'll pray a dismissing prayer in just a minute. But I want to encourage you to focus on him and no one else and nothing else. Father, maker of the heavens and the earth, we worship you. You're worthy of our praise today, oh God just go ahead and open up your hands in that receiving posture today. If you don't have a physical handicap that stops you from doing that, just do that simple gesture today. Say, God, I need you. I need you more, Lord. My desire today, Father, is that our church would be more expressive, not extreme, but extravagant in the expression of our worship towards you because you truly are an extravagant God. I pray that in these next few moments that hearts would be mended, that wisdom would be dispensed, that peace would be given. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing, physical, emotional. Lord, that you would remove stress and stressors. Lord, that we would lay down burdens before you today, even physically gesturing and saying, God, I'm laying this down at your feet. And Lord, help us to not pick those burdens up again. Help us today to worship you through singing and bowing and kneeling and lifting our eyes to the hills from where our help comes from, because it comes only from you, Lord.